Hi, I'm Cameron Harold. I'm the founder of the COO Alliance and the author of Meeting Suck, and I'm here on My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Cameron Harold. Cameron is a top business consultant, best-selling author, and speaker, in addition to being the founder of the COO Alliance. As a highly rated speaker who's delivered to audiences in 26 countries, including CEO and Chief Operating Officer Leadership Events. He's built a consultancy that includes the Big Four wireless carrier, as well as a monarchy. His clients appreciate that he isn't a theory guy. They like that Cameron speaks only from experience. He's earned his reputation in the business by as a growth, as a growth guru by guiding his clients to double their profit and double their revenues in just three years or less. By the age of 42, Cameron engineered 1-800-GOT-JUNK spectacular growth from $2 million to $106 million in revenue and up to 3,100 employees in just six years. His companies landed over 5,200 media placements in that same six years, including coverage on Oprah. He's the author of multiple top-selling books, including Double Double, Vivid Vision, Miracle Morning, and Free PR. Cameron splits his time between Scottsdale, Arizona, and Vancouver, and he's here to talk about his book, Meeting Suck, turning one of the most loathed elements of business into one of the most valuable. Welcome, Cameron. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Pleasure to have you on the show. Tell me, when you were growing up, Cameron, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? Oh, for sure, my father. My family was a very entrepreneurial family. Both sets of grandparents were entrepreneurs, and then my father was was an entrepreneur and he and my mom groomed the three kids, my brother, my sister and myself to all be entrepreneurs. And we've all run our own companies for the last 20, 25 years. So definitely my dad would have been that big entrepreneurial push. What in particular, what characters or traits do stand out, especially now that you've worked with so many managers and leaders and entrepreneurs? What are the character traits that stand out that made him an entrepreneur in your mind and left those kinds of impressions for you? Yeah, he's a classic entrepreneur. He's a high AD so he sees everything. He's hyper aware of everything, notices all the problems and opportunities. So people would say he's quite scattered, but it's because he's seeing everything that's happening. Definitely bipolar. He's got all the crazy fun energy that gets people to follow him. And then he gets stressed and depressed afterwards because of all the intense pressure he's under. Both are very classic signs of entrepreneurial CEOs. And then he's a strong leader, strong tenacity, great sales skills, great idea generation. He's a quick start. He doesn't obsess about perfect. He just gets going. And he's a bit of a perpetual emotion machine. He's got lots of energy. I think those are all kind of classic entrepreneurial, almost DNA traits. I think there's something that right now, unfortunately, being an entrepreneur has become very trendy and very cool, but 95% of people should never be an entrepreneur. They don't have the DNA and you've got to have the DNA plus the skill set. And he had definitely had both. Oh, for sure. And he ran his business successfully. So he was able to marshal his focus and attention when it was needed in order to make the company flourish. Yeah, that's probably one of my biggest kind of focal points with entrepreneurs right now is around focus, that they they have to stay focused and drive that energy that they have towards what Jim Collins talks in Good to Great about the flywheel effect, that if you apply all of your focus and all of your energy around one or two things, you're usually more successful. And that can be tough for the scattered ADD entrepreneur. So it is how focused can you make that energy when you find the right things to focus on. So let's use that as a jumping off point. I'm sure you come across many entrepreneurs and managers 
leaders who have that kind of struggle, how do you help them narrow their focus and put more energy into fewer things so that they advance rather than scattering it out and only moving thing, 100 things an inch? It all goes back to that Cheshire cat in Alice in Wonderland. When Alice asked the Cheshire cat which way to go, and he asked, do you know where you're going? And she said, no. Then he said that any road will take you there. So if you're not clear on where you're going with your business, then all of the options are good ones. And entrepreneurs need to get very clear in what I call a vivid vision. I actually covered the concept of the vivid vision in three of my books. I covered it in double the book called Vivid Vision as well. And then the third book was The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs that I co-authored with Hal Elrod. And this idea of getting a, a four or five page written description of what your company looks like, acts like, and feels like three years in the future, that becomes the aligning force or the aligning point, almost like a lightning rod for all of your employees, customers, and suppliers. And that when you have that clarity of vivid vision, that four or five page description of your company, it allows you to say yes to all the right opportunities and say no to all the wrong opportunities because you're very clear on the direction you're going in. Not unlike if I was going to drive from Seattle to Los Angeles, there's lots of things that I could stop and see along the way. But if I was clear that I wanted to do three hikes and hit five road stop cafes and visit four friends along the way, then I would plan out my journey. But otherwise, I would just be doing a meandering path down to Los Angeles without necessarily making it the most effective trip. So Cameron, I know that you work with people in the COO Alliance, and they probably benefit from putting together that four or five page vision statement. Can you share with me an example of someone you work with that put that together and the kind of difference it made in their business from both a numbers standpoint, as well as how the culture changed by having that vision statement? Because I imagine that it's shared once it's created. Yeah, it's definitely shared. It becomes the the point where you share it with every customer, every employee, every supplier. I'll give an example of a guy named Tristan White. Tristan ran a company in Australia called The Physio Co. And I started coaching Tristan. He ran a good little phys- physical therapy business. And we really wanted to build a world-class brand or really a magnet for amazing talent in Australia. And he crafted this four-page vivid vision of his company and rolled it out to his customers and his suppliers and his employees. And it started pushing people away from his company. They didn't like what it sounded like, but it started magnetizing the ones who liked what it talked about. And then year after year for the next seven years, Tristan's company got to become more of a cultural icon in Australia until he eventually ranked as the number one company in Australia to work for. And it was that aligning point of magnetism that again, repelled people and pulled people together. It's that polarization because you don't have that clarity until somebody comes there and sees that this is not for them, where people who it is for, they're just drawn to it. That's the key. And it's interesting, even for me and my coaching and my business and what I've done to date, I've been very clear on the kind of customers that I work really well with and the kinds of customers that I don't work well with. Yeah, she's definitely a small to medium enterprise. I work really well with companies that have typically 50 to 500 employees. The only time I've ever really coached any companies much bigger than that, I coached the CEO of Sprint, Marcelo Clare, and his second in command, Jamie Jones. But I was trying to teach the second in command how to make Sprint a more entrepreneurial organization. I was definitely out of my comfort zone working with a massive, that's the 82nd largest company in the United States. But I coached them for 18 months on helping them do a turnaround and prepare to to merge with T-Mobile. That's not my zone. But I I don't do any speaking events for government. If government called me and wanted me to pay, pay me to speak for them, I'd say no. But I've done paid speaking events to entrepreneurial groups in 26 countries. So it just allows me to know where to go and where not to go. Of somebody who is in a spot where they're struggling in order to get clarity or in order to grow their company. And some of the symptoms that you look for that let you know that you'd be able to help apply your solutions and your tools to help them quickly 
and precisely. I can show like any organization that is right now feeling like they're herding cats or their employees are scattered or people are working on all these random projects. That's usually pointing to the lack of a vivid vision. They might have a mission statement, but that's not aligning. Or if they're feeling like they're always holding people accountable or trying to inspire them or motivate them, that's usually because they're not aligned with something like a vivid vision. Right? The example I always give is these three guys making bricks. A hundred years ago in Barcelona in Spain, these three guys were out sitting in the dirt making bricks. And they asked the first guy, what are you doing? He said, I'm making bricks. And they asked, and he's not enjoying his job, right? And they asked the second guy, what are you doing? He said, we're building a wall. I get to make the bricks to build the wall. He's inspired. He knows what he's working towards. They asked the third guy, what are you doing? He said, we're building a cathedral to worship God. We're building the Sagrada Familia. It's going to be one of the most famous iconic churches in the world. And I get to make the bricks to build the left wall of the cathedral. You know, all three people are doing the same job, but the one who sees what they're doing and understands why they're doing it and can see that grand vision is more excited, even though it's a hundred year project. And, and that's some of the things that you see inside of a company is a lack of alignment, the lack of vision, the lack of excitement, the lack of passion, an organization usually points to that, the root cause of a lack of something called the vivid vision. And you and I both know that there are a lot of benefits that occur when you have that alignment. What are some of the things that will fall out when you start to have your employees all aligned around that common vision in terms of how much discretionary effort they give along the lines of how they feel safer in order to fail, things like that? Yeah, if you go back to what Pat Lencioni talked about in the five dysfunctions of a team with the, you got to get to the, the healthy conflict and the alignment and the, those, the alignment around vision kind of starts providing some of that foundation for them inside of the workforce. And you start to see them show up with more passion. They see how they fit in the bigger picture. They understand some of the reasons why as an organization we're saying no to certain ideas that they might think is a good idea, but when they recognize it's not aligned with the vivid vision, it starts to make sense. Yeah, it just provides that that better lens. And then they also get to operate with almost that same level of intuition the CEO has. The CEOs feel like they're so intuitive. The only reason they're so intuitive is they're clear on the vision. If everyone had the same clarity of vision, they would have the same level of intuition. Did you discover the importance of vision and clarity while at 1-800-GOT-JUNK? Or what were some of the other aspects that allowed you and the other leaders there to unlock that tremendous growth potential during that six-year period? Yeah, so when I joined 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I came in as the 14th employee. When I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. And I had engineered that growth as the COO. We really focused on three things. The, The three big things that I tried to put in place right away when I got there, the first was I wanted to raise our prices by about 40%. And we did that within a week. And it was because we weren't making money. Our franchisees weren't making money. The guys in the truck weren't making money. So it was just going to be tough to actually build this globally admired brand when everybody was going to be struggling. So we raised our prices to a premium so that we could become the FedEx of junk removal or the Starbucks of junk removal. And that allowed us to then deliver on our promises, deliver on our value, deliver on our quality focus areas. We could have better branding and better trucks. And because we had all that, again, we could charge more. Secondly was I wanted to turn the business to be a little bit more than a business and a little bit less than a religion. I wanted to get into that zone of a cult and alignment with vision, what we used to call a painted picture back then is now called the the vivid vision, 
that idea is what aligned and inspired and excited people. And then the third thing that we focused on was telling our story to the media. And the more that we talked about the future of our business to the media, whether it was TV, radio, Oprah, magazines, whatever, we got covered in all of it. It was them talking about us and how great we were going to be in the future that kind of stirred that Kool-Aid inside of our cult and the magnet. Those are the three core focuses that we had. The rest of it was just business. Second point where you wanted your company's culture to be somewhere between a business and a religion. That involved meetings. So let's talk about the importance of meetings, where they had meetings when you started, and what is it that you see as the importance of meetings for managers? Because more than anything else, more than any other tool, meetings are the opportunity for people in a business to either leverage their talent to higher levels or to squander that talent. It's so important. So how did it start that you recognized and started to use that to allow other people to tap into that potential as well? When I was 20, I was given a franchise of a company called College Pro Painters. And College Pro Painters went on to become the largest residential house painting company in the world. I was in the top 30 people of that company on the planet. And we every year we had to hire 800 franchisees in four months, train them all. And those 800 franchisees had to hire 8,000 painters in six weeks. And then over the next four months, 17 weeks, we had to paint $64 million in houses. So we became operationally world-class at operations execution, basically how to get more shit done with less people faster. We became really good at that. And some of it was operating under these time constraints. So Parkinson's law says work expands to fill the space that we give it. Meetings are one of those things. You need to understand how to run them. So by my definition, a meeting is anytime you have two or more people getting together over phone or over video or in person to discuss something or move something forward. Right, that's the that's a meeting. So I just wanted to codify it because one of my coaching clients, a guy named Bobby Harris from a company called Blue Grace Logistics in Tampa, Bobby had gone. I'd coached him from about forty people up to three hundred employees at this point, and Bobby was complaining about their meetings. And he said, "Meetings suck." And I said, "Have you ever trained your managers on how to run meetings?" He said, "No." I said, have you ever trained all your employees on how to run a meeting, how to attend a meeting, how to participate in them, you know, what the roles are in a meeting? He said, no. And I said, then meetings don't suck. You suck at running meetings. And I said, it's not unlike sending our little kid off to Little League Baseball. You would never send a kid off to play baseball without teaching them how to hold the bat or how to catch a ball or throw the ball, just giving them the basics because otherwise they would go to baseball and they'd say baseball sucks. And the reality is, no, you just suck at baseball. So I I actually wrote the book Meetings Suck as a way to teach employees not only how to run meetings, but also how to attend them and participate in them to get the highest results. Because at the end of the day, we have three inputs. We have our people, we have time, like hours and days, and we have dollars. Those are the three inputs coming into our business and we need to get the highest return on investment of those three things. And if the average employee is spending one to two hours a day on phone calls, in meetings, or in person with people, you need to teach them how to be effective on that or that's being wasted. So since Bobby, and what's Bobby's last name? Bobby Harris. Harris. So since he went on to become the number one company to work for in Florida when I was coaching him and also the entrepreneur of the year in the state of Florida. Standing. So since Bobby Harris, you've seen a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners and how they operate their companies. What is one of the most overlooked areas that are fundamental to running effective meetings? It's that people sit down and say, let's get together to talk about this for a half an hour. Instead, what I do is I build the 
the agenda first. What are the things I want to cover? In what order do I want to work through them? How many minutes do we need for each of those agenda items? And then book the meeting for that amount of time. And then secondly, based on what we're covering, who do I need to attend? We'll discuss and debate those areas. And if I don't, can I get it down to the critical few people? Because you could invite everybody to, to discuss everything, but that's not going to get you the highest ROI off people in time. So I try to figure out based on the agenda, how long and who. And most people completely miss that. And agenda is such a crucial aspect of meetings. I think that so often people fall into a default of we have our weekly meetings and that's where we discuss things. And I know that in the book, you made it very clear that there are three levels within organizations and you have different approaches to meetings, whether you're a a C-level leader, a middle manager, or a frontline worker, or as we used to call them at Apple, individual contributors. And when people are having in a departmental meeting, let's talk about middle managers for a few minutes. When people have their weekly departmental meeting and maybe a fellow came in and is new and just, this is how we do things here. We just have a weekly meeting and everybody goes around and updates everyone else. What's lost by not having a very carefully prepared, thoughtful agenda by the person who's leading the meeting, who's responsible for advancing that group's outputs, deliverables, relationships with other parts of the company? I'll give you a good example of not having clarity around purpose and outcomes and agenda for a meeting. Years ago, back at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we were probably 50 million in revenue at this time. We maybe had 120 people at our head office and we had a town hall meeting. And the one of the new employees who had started that day came to Brian and I. Brian was the CEO and myself as COO. And he said, that was the worst meeting we'd ever been to. We're like, wow, how could it? We thought it was great. We're like, why was it so bad? He said, well, we didn't discuss anything. We didn't debate anything. And you guys just sat up there and we just talked the whole time. You guys didn't say a thing. And I looked at him, did you not see the agenda for the meeting? He said, no, today was my first day. So I pulled out my phone and I showed him the agenda. It said, purpose for the leadership team to listen to the employees. Outcomes. We would talk about these three areas. We would listen to the advice and the ideas of the team. We'll share pizza and beer and we'll be done in 90 minutes. He goes, wow, that was the best meeting I've ever been to. Because once once he knew the purpose and outcomes, he's, oh, you guys weren't supposed to talk. Wow, you guys nailed that. Oh, we finished exactly on time. Whoa, wow, you really listened. Hey, that's amazing. Wow, we covered those core areas. Shit, that was amazing. But because of the absence of purpose, outcome, and agenda, people were upset. So those are the basic, some of the basic frameworks of a great meeting. That's terrific. And as people are listening, to us describe the qualities of a good meeting. And you really have to read Meeting Suck to get the full framework of what you lay out and all of the different levels of meetings and the types of meetings and what those objectives ought to cover. But if someone's listening to this now and they wanted to quickly do an assessment of where they were with their meetings, what would be a few questions that they could ask themselves and their direct reports and their peers to find out how well they're doing with leading meetings? First off, everyone knows their meetings suck. They do because they already complain about them. They already hear stuff. They roll their eyes. They run meetings run over. They don't get enough done. So they already know intuitively that something's not working. Unless you can like from the gut say, no, our meetings are awesome. Then they're pretty average. And the reality is at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we had six consecutive years of 100% revenue growth. Six years in a row, we doubled the size of the company. If you're running your company getting five to 7% growth a year, one of the reasons is you have shitty meetings that aren't propelling your company forward. So if you hear that, or you just in your gut level know, an easy way 
way to find out. If you're a small company, walk around with a pad post-it notes or do a Google survey or a, a survey monkey and just ask all your employees on a scale of one to 10, how strong would you rate our meetings? 10 being best one, and then just take the average response. They're, they're going to tell you they suck. Ask for one suggestion. But here's my point. The average employee gets paid about, call it $60,000 a year is the average employee. And the average employee spends one hour, one hour a day on phone calls in Zoom or in-person meetings. Okay. So one out of their eight hours, that means they're spending 12% of their day in meetings. If you pay them $60,000 a year, that means you're paying them $7,000 to go to meetings. Would it not be worth buying a $15 book when you're already paying them $7,000 to do something without any training? It doesn't make sense why you would. Oh, wait, that's just one employee. Every employee get their own book, of course. Every employee should be reading the book Meetings Suck as a way to supercharge them so they actually get more results from showing up at these meetings. It's amazing. And then all of a sudden what happens is they start holding people accountable too. You can have a frontline employee turn to the CEO and go, hey, put your phone away. If you're too busy that you can't be present for this 30 minutes in the meeting, go do your other work. It's not. It's like an Olympic swimmer, right? I don't understand. I've never seen an Olympic athlete checking their phone while they're doing their event. They're very present focused. And then when they're done, they go back and look at their phone later. And you never see an Olympic athlete showing up as the gun's going off. They're always there a few minutes before so that when the gun goes off, they're ready. They don't show up going, sorry, I'm late. Anyway, all stuff that I cover in media. And Cameron, what excites you in your business right now? What are you working on that is something that you want to share with us that you've found to be really helpful? Here we are in the spring of 2021. The pandemic's been in effect for about a year and you've surveyed what people's needs are. You've had hundreds of conversations. What is it that excites you about you, your business right now? I guess it's the course that I just launched. And I mean, I was going to talk about it, but your question actually leads into it perfectly. And I'll tell you why I'm excited about it. One, during this entire last 12 months, it was a core project for me to launch this Invest in Your Leaders course. So I've worked very hard in studio and behind the scenes and with my team and learning about launching a good course. And we've really done a good job with the pre-launch and selling as much of it we've already sold, getting high reviews on it. I also did a lot of pre-work just prior to COVID where I sat down and started thinking about it and wanted to commit to it. So it was a big project that I committed to that we nailed during COVID. And I'm really happy about that. But I think the core reason I'm excited about it is I've always believed that the more we grow our people, the more they'll grow our brand. So the whole idea with the Invest in Your Leaders course is what I call the Simon Sinek has has his golden circles with the why, how, what. Simon was on my board of advisors five years before he wrote that book, five years before his famous TED Talk. He flew out to Vancouver to meet us to find out if our culture was as strong as he'd read about in Fortune magazine. The why is all of you. We train, we should be trained training all of our employees on the history, our culture, our core purpose, our core values. The how is what nobody trains people on. And that's what my entire course is. My entire course is training our managers and leaders on situational leadership, coaching, interviewing, effective meetings, delegation, time management, problem solving, conflict management, all the soft skills of the executive functioning skills that every manager and every leader needs to be strong in. And I've always believed that if we grow those skills for them, they'll grow the company for us. And that's how we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And then lastly on this, I'm excited because I believe that I almost feel like every employee or every manager is climbing up two ladders. Let's say you had two 40-foot ladders right beside each other. Now everybody's climbed a ladder and it gets shaky at some point. 40-foot ladders are these big long ladders that I used to use in house painting to get to the third story of a house. When you get to the midpoint, those ladders are a nerve, a little shaky. Imagine if your left foot and your left hand are climbing up one ladder and then right beside it, your right foot and right hand are climbing up another ladder. Those two ladders are the 
skills ladder and the confidence ladder. And each person needs to go up the skills to go up in confidence, which goes up in skills, which raises confidence, which raises skills, which raises confidence. So our job, if we're shaking the confidence ladder, they're not going to gain any more skills. If we help them gain skills, they get more confidence. So as leaders, I believe that this Invest in Your Leaders course was critical to grow our employees. And what Gen Y wants more than anything right now is career development. So it's really fitting into that niche. And then I developed in such a way that the learners can learn at their own time. They don't need their boss to help them, but their managers can see how they're progressing through that course content. Are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Go for it. All All right. right. So at the beginning of the interview, I asked you about someone who inspired and influenced you, and you talked about your father. When you were a teenager, Cameron, what's a song that you loved? Wow. I love The Who. And I love, yeah, I'd say I love The Who and then I love David Bowie. Changes from Bowie would have been a big one. As you think about your mission to help people be more effective in their work and make the most of the talent, time and dollars they have to invest in adding value, how do you get your word out about your mission to connect with those that need it most each week? I've been very fortunate. One of my books is called Free PR and I've taught people how to generate press coverage about them and their brand. So an example is me being on your podcast. Like I love talking to the media and talking to thought leaders about my ideas. I've done paid speaking events in 26 countries. I've been on thousands of media interviews over the last 30 years. So I just think that's the kind of stuff that I like doing, which allows me to share. And then on social media, I'm just, I'm a big proponent of sharing and helping. My core purpose, Simon Sinek actually was at my home 15 years ago and helped me write my core purpose or my why. And I, I wake up wanting to help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. That's why I do what I do. So my book, all five of my books, help entrepreneurial companies. My my Invest in Your Leaders course helps them. My COO Alliance helps them. My speaking helps them. For me, the more that I can do this kind of stuff, it just is fun. With all that you're doing with the different projects, the COO Alliance, the training course, the publishing, the social media, do you have a book or do you have a tool or system that you use to help you stay on track and productive? I do. There's an app called Commit to Three. And the whole idea with the Commit to Three app is every day you commit your top three goals to another person. And they commit their top three goals for the day to you. And the app does not integrate with anything. It doesn't tie in with anything. It's merely what are the three big things I'm going to get done today. And in the 250 business days we have per year, you consider 52 weekends, two days per weekend, you got 250 days left to really get stuff done. You get 250 days times three things a day. That's 750 impactful things. And without, without that, without thinking about three big things I can do to drive revenue or employee engagement or customer engagement today, most people are just busy being busy. And if you think over the past year, what's the most important habit, skill, or belief that you've stopped that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? One that I think it's the whole Protestant work ethic of work hard, work hard. I really spend a lot more time this year delegating faster because I think if I can, and growing my people and making sure my people are happy, but I'm really getting much better at delegating faster and getting more off my plate. So it's almost like plan, brief, execute, debrief, or plan and delegate, plan, brief, delegate. Like I'm really good at figuring stuff out and then delegating it. And that momentum is creating momentum for me. Cameron, you've shared so many great ideas with me on my quest for the best. I want to thank you so much for your generosity and your knowledge in being here on the show and sharing with people, starting with your father and the example he set for you. And then also the importance of how focus and clarity are often essential and overlooked in a business. And they really create such important opportunities to have a a ripple effect. We talked about the five dysfunctions of a team and how that is 
impacted by making sure that everyone in the company understands the purpose and the goals and the objectives of what people are working toward. You shared with us your experience of working with college pro um, painters and how you had to accomplish a great deal of hiring in a short period of time, and it led you to become hyper-effective at being able to delegate and execute on different projects. The phenomenal growth of 1-800-GOT-JUNK was key. We talked about Bobby Harris, who was in Tampa and implemented some of these ideas through your coaching and became one of the best uh, companies in Florida. We discussed the importance of the agenda and how that's so crucial to let people know what the objectives, the purposes, and the outcomes are of any meeting and why if people put time and energy into developing their agenda, they could really make better use of the three inputs they have available to them, the time, energy, and money that they can allocate in a business. So for these reasons and so many more, Cameron, I just want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Hey, Bill. Thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, Cameron, before we say goodbye for now, tell me, where can we find out more about you and your work online? It's funny. I was thinking about having some kind of a custom landing page, but I think it's just so much easier if people, they'll find me at CameronHerald.com. All five of my books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. My Second in Command podcast is a great one that they can tune into and learn from. And then the Invest in Your Leaders course is just InvestInYourLeaders.com. Well, we're going to link to your website, CameronHerald.com, as well as linking directly to your Amazon books, your course, as well as all of your social media to make it super easy for people listening to this podcast to find you, connect with you, and continue to learn from you and the work that you do. So Cameron Herald, author of Meeting Suck, turning one of the most loathed elements of business into the one of the most valuable. I want to thank you again for joining me on my quest for the best. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.